We are now in installment number six of this King Encounter series, a series that is designed to show us that whenever you meet Jesus, it has life-altering implications. Mm -hmm. Biblical episode after biblical episode, I wanted to show you in the text, not in my opinion, but I wanted to show you via the scriptures that whenever somebody meets Jesus, they cannot go unchanged. It has life-altering implications. For starters, once you truly meet Jesus, you can never sin the same again. Oops. <laughs> you can never sin the same again. Like you might want to, but you will literally have to turn down the volume of the Holy Spirit to engage in what you're about to engage in. You will literally have to turn down the cautionings of God once you have actually had a king encounter. You have to try to ignore that part of the sermon that you heard last month that has been sticking with you when I told you the goal is for us to be able to have self-government because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You were like, literally, I have to make sure that I am not allowing the insignificant actions of somebody else cause for me to step outside of my kingdom character. You'll like have to push all that away. Because <laughs> there was a time when we used to turn up and, and drink up and, and smoke that and, and hit that. Why am I coming out like this? And I've only been talking about three minutes. There's a time when you used to engage in what I call your BC patterns. Before Christ, yeah. There was a time when we used to freely engage in your BC patterns, but now when you're about to, you feel this, mm, I don't really know if I should do it. There's like this, this resistance. There's like this tension on the inside because like I told us, the byproduct of a king encounter is when you have more used to's than still do's. Like you could try. Can I get somebody to say, you could try? Y'all got to hear high pitch. You could try. Like, you could try to do what you want to do. But there's like this, mm, this, this resistance on the inside. I, I really don't know if I should respond to them because there's just this conviction on the inside. There's this, this mm, I, I don't really know if I should go to happy hour with them. And it has nothing to do with legalism. I just know me. I just know me and there's a conviction on the inside of me where God is saying, I, I don't want you to engage in that behavior anymore because what I'm trying to do in your life is a new thing. What I'm trying to do in your mind is a new thing and you could try it. You could try to go over their apartment, but there's this, mm, I don't really know if I should go over there. Mm, I don't really know if I should go to, to her apartment or his apartment because Netflix and chill can lead to children It can lead to children, and I recognize this year, like, I'm doing something different. In 2022, I recognize that my body is a temple, not a hotel. See, when your body's a temple, this means it is sacred and consecrated for God's use. When your body's a hotel, anybody can make reservations. Oops. Anybody can check in and check out of you whenever they want to. But this time, I'm not going to put my flesh in an atmosphere where sin could reign. There's, there's just this, this, this resistance you feel on the inside. It's nothing to do with legalism, but it is the afterbirth of a king encounter. And you feel it. 
Like when that person laid on their horn in traffic to you. Have y'all ever had somebody blow their horn at you like this? Beep. Beep, beep. And you're like, okay, you want to try me today. You want to talk about mamas. Okay, you want to try me today. You better try Jesus. Not me. Like you want to try me. But before you roll your window down, there's something saying, don't roll your window down. Don't turn around. Don't honk back. Don't have nothing to say to them. Don't give them any sign language because you don't know who I'm going to use in your life. I might use you to be a witness to them. What if y'all both come to church? <laughs> See? Listen, y'all, that's not you being weak. That's you being meek. There's this, this, this tension on the inside that you feel maybe I shouldn't respond to that text because every time I'm around them they keep on bringing parts out of me that I'm trying to keep in the grave see we got two claps on that right so I'm gonna go ahead and put my foot on the gas it's just something about him that he seems to resuscitate things I thought were dead see there are parts of you you thought were dead they're really in a coma and it just takes the right person. Is this too real? It just takes the right person to resuscitate your anger. The right person to resuscitate your lust. Just the right person to resuscitate what I'm trying to keep in the grave. See, this is why I believe when David killed Goliath, he chopped off his head. <laughs> Y'all read your Bible. Once the stone went kaput and Goliath's head... David ran across the field and chopped Goliath's heads off. See, I personally, I cannot stand like a horror movie or a scary movie, some psychotic serial killer that breaks in somebody's house. Like he's, he's just terrorizing your whole family. You see him coming, you got this frying pan, and you waiting for them to come around the corner. And as soon as they come around the corner, Bing, you hit them, they pass out, and you go over to your family. Are you okay? Are you all right? I love you so much. I'm like, no, hit him. Don't move. Stay over him. If you have a gun, empty the clip, pop, 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 make sure he's dead. Wait till the police are there because every single time, it's so predictable. I see these movies when y'all turn around, old buddy is gone. <laughs> David's like, listen. I'm going to chop the head off Goliath because I'm not going to deal with this giant in another season. You got one fight with me, but I'm not going to deal with this giant in another season. Now watch this, y'all. Once he chopped off Goliath's head, head in scripture is symbolic of authority. Right? Husband is the head of the wife. And Christ is the head of church. And Christ will step on the serpent's head because head is authority. So David was saying, this giant is not going to have authority over God's people any longer. I'm getting off my notes, y'all. I'm deviating away from my notes, but I just feel this. I feel like this is the season where God wants to raise up some giant slayers. Some giant slayers. Like... The giant of fear, you no longer have authority. You no longer will have authority over my decision making because I am a giant slayer. The giant of worry 
no longer will you torment my mind. Because you know what worry is? If I was a note taker, I would write this down. All worry is, is misuse of your creative self. Did y'all hear what I just said? All worry is, is misuse of your creative self. Look how creative you are. You have created a whole horror film in your head. Think about it. You have made yourself angry because you are so creative. Oh, you creative. You have created what they're going to say. You have created them not accepting your application. You have created the, the, the book company not endorsing your book deal. You have created in your head nobody's going to subscribe to your YouTube channel. Oh, you creative. Wow. Worry is misuse of your creative self. It's a down payment on a problem you may never have. Somebody, under the sound of my voice, you're a giant slayer. No longer will you have authority over my faith. No longer will you have authority over my mind. No longer will you have authority over my joy. No longer will you have authority over my peace. No longer will you have authority over my sleep. No longer will you have authority over my children. No longer will you have authority over my attitude. No longer will you have authority over my perspective. No longer will you have authority over my thoughts. Can I get somebody to say, I am? Y'all have to say it like you're trying to make a declaration to hell. You got to say it like you're trying to make a declaration over your life. Can I get somebody to say, I am? I am. A giant slayer. No longer will I have authority over me and my life. And the last two segments of our King Encounter series, I believe it was the gasoline for our faith. Just personally, part four and part five of this series, I believe was just gasoline for the fire of your faith. Because once you have a proper perspective of disappointment, it lowers your anxiety. Mm-hmm. Your anxiety is so high because you do not have a proper perspective of disappointment. And so we learned that a closed door is not designed to rob you of your faith, but rather it's designed to point you to your favor. Like the favor of God is your tall assistant that can reach and get off the top shelf what everybody's reaching for, but they're not favored for. Favor. So, so we had to recalibrate our minds so that we could see disappointment through a different lens. A closed door is a compass, not a verdict. And last week we came together and we talked about joy. I said, church family, God is speaking to us. He wants us to have joy. Joy in him and him alone. And I told us that joy is a byproduct of a king encounter. It is believing and knowing the simple truth, God got me. And the content that we have on today, like I'm loving how I'm seeing each particular installment of this series connect. It's like really letting me know, okay, God, you really are guiding this. The, the content on today, I wish I had it. In 2015, when I'm about to preach to you, I wish I could have came 
to an in-person service and heard what you are about to hear today. For those watching online, I wish there was some ministry I was aware of where I could have logged on and saw a woman of God or a man of God who keeps their ear to heaven because they want to hear, God, what are you saying? God, what is on your heart? God, what are you seeking after? What grieves your heart? What pleases your heart? God, what are you passionate about? I want to really know what God is saying. I wish I had somebody who loved me enough to tell me the truth, who will preach the unadulterated gospel, even if it costs them to get a dislike, for them to get an unfollow, or if it caused one of the biggest givers in the church to go somewhere else and stop giving. I wish we had people who weren't a slave to somebody's pocketbook. I wish I would have heard this message in 2015 because it would have helped me heal better. It would have helped me. I'm being transparent. It would have helped me recover better. And I was having this conversation with my wife throughout this week. As I was preparing for this particular message, I said, you know, we have taught people, like the church has taught people how to steward their time. You've heard sermons like that before. We have taught people how to steward their money. We, we had sermons. We have resources. You know, church loves talking about money. We, we've talked about that. We have had sermons that taught us how to steward our relationships. You need wisdom before you start revealing your vulnerable self to somebody. We've had sermons like that. I said, but Tanisha, why are we not teaching people? And why are we not talking about how do you steward hurt? Like, how do you steward pain? The icon of the Christian faith is a cross. Jesus says, bear your cross and follow me. Like the icon of our belief system is an instrument that's meant for a slow, agonizing, painful death. Back in Bible times, people weren't just wearing a cross as a symbol of hope. That was scary. That's like you walking around in the 1940s wearing a chain that has an electric chair on it. Why aren't we teaching people how to handle and how to steward pain. And what do you do when your pain is in partnership and collaboration with your purpose? Talk Holy Spirit. How do I handle pain that God is using to make me fruitful? You trying to rebuke it. But the reason you're praying against this and it's not changing is because you cannot rebuke that which God is using as surgery. I know you want God to take it, but just what if God was using it? And how do we teach people that pain you steward? That pain you embrace. Don't try to understand it because it never makes sense while you're in it. It only makes sense once it's over. Like once it's over, then you can say, it was good that I was afflicted. But while you're afflicted, it doesn't make sense. How, how do we steward pain? Because pain and purpose are romantically involved. This is interwoven throughout the fabric of scripture all day. I'm studying this and I'm saying, okay, Joseph experienced pain by being betrayed by his brothers. But that situation was the midwife for his destiny. 
Did y'all hear what I just said? Joseph experienced pain. He had to experience this. This situation was the midwife for his destiny because pain is the midwife of purpose. Why are we talking about this? I can give you more Bible. Ruth experienced pain by the death of her first husband. Everybody knows Boaz, but nobody remembers Malon. She was married before. When you lose a spouse unexpectedly, that hurts. But that situation, that situation was the midwife for her destiny because pain is the midwife to purpose. I can give you more Bible. Esther experienced pain when Haman was about to slaughter her whole family. But that situation was the midwife for her destiny because pain is the midwife for your destiny. Or how about, I don't know, Jesus. Jesus experienced pain on the cross, but that situation was the midwife for his destiny because pain is the midwife for purpose. So why aren't we telling people that when you follow Jesus, you're going to experience pain? Look, y'all, listen. The reason so many people are quitting and walking away from the faith is because we've been preaching so long about it being your season that when it's not your season, you don't know how to handle it. We have been preaching so long. Ooh, talk Holy Ghost. We have been preaching so long that your victory and, and, and you overcoming this is on the way. And, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But what about when weapons are formed against us? Why are we preaching that? We're preaching about how God will shut the mouth of the lion. But why are we preaching about what is it like when Daniel had to spend the night with beast? Preach about that part. We're preaching, oh, there was a fourth man in the fire. But why are we preaching about what was it like to be about to be thrown in the fire? And so we have people who walk away from the faith because we have been encouraged to death. Listen, y'all. I'm like, um, have we forgotten that one of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering? Why are we, pre like, we preach the love part. We preach the patient part. We preach the joy part. But how many sermons have you heard that I want to preach about the fruit of the spirit of long-suffering? How do we steward pain? I'm talking about the pain that you ask God to take away, and his response to you is, my grace is sufficient. Thank you for one clap. I'm talking to somebody. Y'all don't have to clap today. I know I'm being obedient. Like I said, I wish I would have had this. Why aren't we telling people that some of us literally, right here, under the sound of my voice, you can't sleep at night? Because your heart and your mind are at war. Like pain has declared war on the inside and pain has declared war on your thoughts. And I'm trying to convince somebody thoughts aren't facts. Did y'all hear me? Thoughts aren't facts. Don't believe everything you think. How, how, how do I steward pain? The pain that is needed for me to grow. This is why some of us work so much. It's hard to catch them. They're real busy. Anybody know that? They're just real busy. Some people make themselves stay busy to try to work away the pain. You can never get them to slow down, seek counseling, get a therapist, talk about it.
Because if they slow down, it will force them to feel the pain that they're trying to work away. And I don't want to feel that. So we're trying to work away the pain. And I want to help somebody on this afternoon because I don't know what you're going through. Pain many times is like a broken rib. Nobody can see it, but you feel it every time you breathe. Pain. I want to help somebody on today to learn how to make sure that pain is only an employee, never a boss. See, when pain is an employee, it's working for you. When it's a boss, you're working for it. How, how do I steward pain? And I was asking my wife, why aren't we telling people that following Jesus sometimes comes with heartbreak? It's painful to let go of your will for his will. That's not always easy. We'll sing, God, I just want your way. But what about when that crushes what you wanted? How do you deal with that pain? Can we talk about that pain? Or what about this? How about the pain of accepting what you didn't want? And that's God's will, but it's not your will. Or let's go a little deeper. How about the pain of training your heart to not love what you loved? It's getting quiet. I know. Talk Holy Ghost. I got to train my heart to love, to not love what I used to love. Because I can't love obedience and love rebellion at the same time. How do you deal with pain when you're trying to trust God's timing, but you feel like he forgot about you? How do you deal with that? How do you still trust with that? How do you still pray with that? How do you still fast with that? And if we don't talk about this, when it gets hard, we quit. When it gets hard, we fold. When it gets hard, we walk away. When it gets hard, we doubt Jesus. When it gets hard, we doubt the gospel. And I want to teach us today how to steward pain. Because pain is the midwife of purpose. And why haven't we been telling people? how to deal with the side effects of obedience. We tell you, just obey. But what about the side effects of my family? What about the side effects of me losing a position because I was obeying? I want to help us to learn how to steward pain. Please hear me. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. And some of us don't know how to embrace pain without being miserable. How does Paul get to a place where he says, I want to know the sufferings of Christ? Pain. Do you really want to be like Jesus? See, this is why I think a lot of people are content with just liking Jesus, but not trying to be like Jesus. A Christian is a Christ-like one. We cool with liking Jesus. But if you like Jesus, to be like Jesus is to engage yourself in warfare. To be like Jesus is to be persecuted. To be like Jesus is to be misunderstood. To be like Jesus is to deal with devils. To be like Jesus is to have people betray you. Do you really want to be like Jesus? And I know we may not like it, but I'm just obedient on this afternoon because all of us there's nobody who's exempt if you're not dealing with it right now it might be an open book test for you later all of us 
will hit a season, a process, and a life that is painful. And I want you to be able to know how to steward that pain with biblical wisdom. This king encounter that we're about to see this afternoon is two king encounters in one. And I want you to focus on one particular character. I couldn't do hopscotch with this, so I want all of us to see this. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You can see it on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell on his feet. Somebody say he's desperate. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind the crowd And touched the hem of his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, it had to be so funny to be a disciple. His disciples said to him, like, Jesus, you see all these people upon you, bro. Like, what you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But look at this. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. I don't want y'all to miss this. Everybody's touching him, but everybody wasn't touching him and getting power from him. Did y'all catch that? Jesus identified, yeah, everybody's touching me, but this particular touch was a different touch. This was a desperate touch. This was a faithful touch. He said, no, I I need to figure out who's touching me. Y'all touching me, but somebody really touched me. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some of the rulers of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? The most, the most seldom preached part of this biblical narrative usually orbits around the woman. How many sermons? have we heard about this woman with the issue of blood? And I get it. It's powerful. She shows us that there is a miracle between radicals. There is a marriage between radicals and miracles. It seems like in Scripture, the more radical a person was, the bigger the miracle was. Like she's not even supposed to be out here. She breaking laws and, and mosaic customs. She's supposed to be inside somewhere because she is ceremonially unclean. 
She doesn't have a right to touch Jesus, yet alone a rabbi, and she's a woman touching a man. But she got to this place where she says, I don't care what people think. I don't care about the rules. I don't care about the laws. I'm going to be radical. I wonder, is there any radical people in the house? Radical. I don't understand it, but I'm still going to be radical. I don't like it, but I'm still going to be radical. It's uncomfortable, but I'm still going to be radical. Because when God blesses me, it's always so that I could fix, not so that I could flex. Radical. Whatever God gives me, I'm going to be radical with it. The most seldom preached part of this particular text is always about the woman with the issue of blood. I'm like, did y'all forget Jairus was there too? Like after all of that happened at the end, it said, and Jairus the ruler. So Jairus was standing there waiting on the sideline while all of this is going on. Now Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. So we could come to this conclusion that Jairus had to hear a lot of sermons in his day. A lot of good sermons, a lot of bad sermons, a lot of soporific sermons. That means something so boring that it makes you fall asleep. Hopefully none of y'all doing that in here. <laughs> he heard a whole lot of sermons in his day. But I believe once Jesus went up to the podium, like part one of this series, Jairus was like, this one's different. Can I get someone to say, this one's different? <laughs> I never heard nobody come up to the pulpit. And a demon to holler out in the middle of service. This, this, this dude is different. Remember, he's the ruler of the synagogue, meaning he hears preaching all the time. When he heard about the miracles and the healing of Jesus and the might of Jesus and how power was branded to what Jesus had to say, Jairus then thought to himself, I got it. Maybe he could heal my daughter. Maybe, maybe I could try Jesus. I'm going to try Jesus. Let's modernize this where we can understand it. I think for 2022, I'm going to try this Jesus stuff out. Like, I'm going to try to come to church, and I'm going to try to get planted. I'm going to try to come to, like, discipleship. I'm going to try to, like, participate in outreach. I'm going to try Jesus. Somebody say, try Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to try him. Like, I'm going to try, and I'm going to go ahead and keep it locked until I get married. I know nobody really doing that, but I'm going to go ahead and try this Jesus stuff out. I'm going to just try it. Like, I'm still kind of hurting for what my mama said to me about Thanksgiving. I am bitter. Let me go ahead and try the Jesus stuff. Jesus said forgive. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to forgive because all bitterness does is contaminate the container. So I, I'm going to try this, this Jesus stuff. Somebody say, I'm going to try it. As a man, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and try purity too because this is not something that ladies should be leading in. But this is something that men should be leading in too. How about I try to represent for the kingdom as well so that I'm a man of God so that when God wants to do something in the earth, he mentions my name. I got a man down in Houston who seeks my face. I got a man in Dallas who seeks my face. Let, let, let me go ahead and try this, this Jesus stuff. I wonder, does this, does this Jesus stuff work? Let me go ahead and try to renew my mind because my mind is on one. Like my mind's real jacked up. Let me go ahead and Outside of Jerry saying, turn your Bible, let me start reading my Bible on my own. Let me start memorizing scripture on my own. Let, let me start trying to renew my mind on my own because the way I'm thinking is unhealthy. I, I want to be able to stop projecting my insecurities and inadequacies on other people and then saying that they really came to me some type of way. But truth is, I already feel some type of way about myself. So let me renew my mind because just like 
God sends people. The enemy sends people too. Look, y'all, whoever the enemy sends, you could always tell because they kill something, they steal something, and they destroy something. But God sends people in your life to assist you with healing. I wish I had this revelation back in June of last year when I was teaching this discernment series. Because now I understand why Satan sends so many counterfeits. I understand why he sends so many counterfeits now. Because he wants us to fall in love with what was never yours. Listen, I want you to love what was never yours. So I want you to execute all of this effort and energy on what was going to leave anyway. So by the time God sends you what is yours, all your grace left with what wasn't. I get it. I get it. I, I, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try this, this Jesus stuff, and I'm actually going to seek God's face. Jairus told himself, this Jesus might be able to help with my daughter. And then he went home and told his family. I know he told his family because verse 35 of our foundational text, it says, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. You ever told the right plans to the wrong people? You ever told the right? Like these people said, hey, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You know what they were saying? What you thought was going to work didn't. Why keep praying? Why trouble Jesus any further? Like you thought this was going to happen? Why pray like that? Why fast like that? Why are you going to that church on Sunday and Wednesday? This Jesus stuff doesn't work. Why trouble yourself with that? Sometimes pain will reveal your friends. See? I wonder would Jairus have known the condition of his friends if his daughter wouldn't have died? And do you have people in your life when you suffer tell you, well, why do you keep giving? Why do you keep praying? Why do you keep seeking, seeking Jesus like that, baby? Why do you just, just trust the universe? Just, just trust your sign. I'm like, you can't, follow the, the, you can't follow zodiac signs and the Holy Spirit. Pick a struggle. You going to struggle with the Holy Spirit renewing you? Or are you going to struggle with trying to believe something that was false? Pick a struggle. Why trouble them? That, that stuff doesn't work. And I'm trying to get us to see that God doesn't see how we see. When he allows pain, God always sees what this is going to produce. Y'all listen. God never sees how we see. They saw David as a shepherd. God saw David as a king. They saw Sarah as barren. God saw Sarah as the mother of a nation. They saw Ruth as a Moabitess. God saw Ruth as the mother of the genealogy of Jesus. They saw Noah as a fool. God saw Noah as an ark builder. God sees things in different ways than we see. And Jairus had a plan, a plan that he thought would work. And I wonder how many of us in the sacred sanctuary and watching online, you have a plan. And you told God your plans. Which one is it, y'all? Are you telling God your plans or are you seeking his face to discover his? Yes. The reason you're so frustrated is because you're asking God to bless what was not his plan. Yes. And how do you handle that pain when you thought that this was from God, but you discovered that it was from you? Pain. Jairus 
had a plan. Look at this, y'all. Verse 23 of our foundational text, it says, And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her that she may be healed. Look, y'all, and she will live. So Jairus' faith is not on trial. He didn't say, yo, Jesus, come lay your hand, and she might be all right. He said, Jesus, lay your hand, and she will be healed. And this is what messed me up this week. Verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him. I said, God, why is that sticking with me? So Jesus went with him. Come lay your hand on my daughter, and she will be healed. I know she'll be well. And Jesus went with him. Jesus never said he was going to heal, heal Jairus' daughter. He just went with him. Jesus knew you are about to experience something so painful, a pain that no parent should ever feel. And I'm not even going to tell you the information about, of about what's about to happen in your life. I'm going to just walk with you through it. Are y'all hearing me? He says, come lay your hands on her. She'll be healed. And Jesus just goes with him. What do you do when God leaves out pertinent information? He never tells Jairus, we're not even going to get to her before she dies. I know your heart's about to be broken, but I'm going to walk with you through the pain. You can't birth anything without experiencing pain. We've tried to get medication and epidurals and all of that type of stuff. But after all of the medication subsides, there is pain when you're trying to recover. Healing hurts. Recovery hurts. And there is something that God has put on the inside of you. And there is something that God has put on the inside of me that you're supposed to give birth to. But giving birth hurts. Labor pains hurt. Becoming hurts. Recovery hurts. Evolution hurts. And if I can get you to focus on the pain, you'll never birth the baby. What is God trying to get you to birth, but you stop pushing because it hurts? What, if, what is God trying to get you to give life to, but you stop pushing because of the pain? You can't birth anything without pain. And why aren't we telling people the truth that you are going to experience pain by following me? But the pain is critical and necessary for your purpose. I want to speak around this thought. For a few moments on this afternoon, part six of this series, when it hurts. When it hurts. I remember my honeymoon phase with Jesus. I'm on fire. I'm breaking my young Jeezy. I'm breaking my Tupac and I'm breaking my little Wayne. I'm on fire. I'm excited. I ain't listening to this no more. I'm not listening to this no more. Jerry, you coming to the party? No, I'm coming to church. I just remember the excitement. And I remember like back in 2009, it was totally different now. But I experienced the era where like Christian hip-hop was like lit. Like we would go to like a Lecrae concert or a Trip Lee concert. And I had the whole youth ministry. And we all in the concert. I'm on the shame. Yeah. I'm on everybody on the shame. Out in the parking lot, people holding hands and reading the Bible. I'm seeing prayer groups over here and prayer groups over there. I'm talking about teenagers and 20-year-olds. I was like, Yeah. I'm going to be a Christian, for real. I remember the honeymoon phase. But I remember in 2015, the, oh, you a Christian, Christian pain. 
See, some of us have no clue what I'm talking about because you're not sold out yet. When you're sold out, there's a pain. When you won't compromise even for your mama, even for your daddy, even for, oh, Lord, sometimes even for your spouse. I think one of the hardest things is for two non-believers to get married. One gets saved and the other one's not. Because now you're looking at, okay, this is what love is. This is what grace is. This is what mercy is. And they just still going off what culture says. And so now I'm trying to execute godly fruit on somebody who's not godly. Now it makes sense why we should get premarital counseling. Now it makes sense why we should seek accountability so that both of us believe the same thing versus I discover along the way. Now listen, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God can't do something wonderful and it just bloom and blossom because he does. I know several couples like that. But God has an original kingdom agenda. And his original kingdom agenda is a daughter of the king and a son of the king come to the king to give the king glory. That's why we're together. I know culture doesn't preach that and I know that's not what we think, but that's how it's supposed to be. We both love Jesus. And then on the outside of that, just because we both love Jesus doesn't mean we're both compatible. You could have a different assignment than me. That's cuffing season. Y'all go back and binge that. How do, how do I steward this? I want us to say this confession because I felt it when I was making it. Can I get us to say, God, give me the faith and the courage to trust that your plans are better than mine. One more time. God, give me the faith and the courage to trust that your plans are better than mine. The clause of concern. A verse that was messing me up all week is verse 35. While Jesus was still talking. That's what your Bible says, right? While he was still speaking. So I'm thinking he's speaking to the woman. While he is still speaking, somebody from his house, from Jairus' house, comes along. That Jesus stuff don't work. Your plan doesn't work. Why trouble the teacher? any further. And I wonder if there's anybody in the house on this afternoon that you have gotten to this place where you feel like, why keep doing all this Jesus stuff? My dreams have never got off the runway and became airborne. Why try all of this Jesus stuff? I'm praying. I'm fasting. I have sought God year after year. And it seems as though this pain won't leave. Why trouble the teacher any further? I'm praying for God to heal my marriage. I wanted to leave this, st this stale, boring, unfulfilling place. But it's like our covenant is just parked in the parking lot of stagnation and pain. God, what's the point of all this? Why trouble the teacher any further? I want you... For the next few moments, I know that this comes off a little unorthodox and unusual and maybe even anomalous, but I want you to forget your title for a second. I want you to forget that you're a first-time visitor, that you're a part of the choir, that you claim to be a Christian. I want you to forget that, that you're working in the audio ministry, that you're a greeter, that you're an usher. Leave all of your religious titles at the door. And I wonder if there's anybody in the house that's honest enough to admit sometimes doing the right thing and doing the right thing consistently is a struggle. And that struggle, see, see, that struggle is real. It's painful sometimes turning the other cheek. Can y'all talk to me? Why y'all looking at me cray cray? Yes, I'm saying this in church. 
Sometimes it is painful to do the right thing over and over. The struggle is real. I don't want to bite my tongue today. I'm going off two hours of sleep. You cut me off, I want to say something back to you. It's a struggle, and that struggle is real. I'm tired of waiting and believing and hoping and people telling me just trust the time and the God, and it just seems everybody keeps getting blessed before me. Sometimes it's a struggle, and that struggle is real. I'm trying to raise these children, some of us on our own, and I guess they forget I like to lay hands sometimes, and I'm trying to have God help me to learn grace, sometimes talk things through and learn another method than how my parents raised me. That could be a struggle. And that struggle is real. And this is what I discovered. One of the objectives of hell, like I would say in the top five on the demonic syllabus of hell, one of the goals is to get us to quit. I'm talking to somebody. One of the goals, I don't know what number it is, but I'm pretty sure it's top five on the demonic syllabus. The goal is to get you to quit. It's too hard. Quit. They don't appreciate you. Quit. He didn't put the lid back on the toothpaste. We just came out of counselor from that, from our marriage counselors. Quit. Quit. Nobody showed up. Quit. You just started your YouTube channel. You got three subscribers. Quit. Nobody's watching you. You posting. Nobody's coming on your live. You're on there like, yeah, I'm going to wait for people to get in the room. I'm going to just give it a few more moments. Praise God. Praise God. Y'all share this. Praise God. I have a word. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Just a few more moments. Nobody else coming in, bro. Nobody's coming in. So quit. Quit. You don't like the correction that you just received at choir rehearsal. You don't have to put up with that. Quit. I know that you're burning with passion because you're a worshiper, but you don't like being corrected. So quit. The language of the enemy many times when we're dealing with pain, is to get us to quit. Why bother with the teacher any further? And I love how woke our generation is. I do. I mean, we woke, ain't we? <laughs> like, we all, like, we woke to everything. We woke to health and, and physical health, emotional health, and spiritual health. The only problem I have with our generation is, like, we're so woke that we label everything toxic. Like everything. Somebody holding you accountable, that's toxic. They shouldn't come at me like that. Everything is toxic. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Everything toxic. We're so sensitive, everything is toxic. Everything. Like, okay, perfect example. Like in a few weeks, when it's considered Holy Week, like there's a such thing as, okay, you be holy this week because it's the resurrection. But in a few weeks when it's Holy Week, we're going to fast as a church. Just that whole week we're going to do a fast, right? You tell your friend you fast, and, mm -mm, girl, you got some pastor telling what you can't eat. See, that's manipulation. That's manipulation. See, I can't stand churches like that. They don't know what you go through. They don't know your doctor history. They don't know your medical report. They're talking about what you can and when you cannot eat. You can only drink water this day. They don't know you. What church you go to, I am not going. Where are they on Google? Why can leave a one-star review? That is a manipulator. I'm like, um, is everything toxic? Or could the pain that you're experiencing God be using to purge you of all of your toxins? See? It's toxic. Or could it be showing you your toxicity? 
And God is using this pain to show you, your attitude's still there? Mm-hmm. You haven't forgave her like you said. Why your eye twitching like that? You haven't forgave her. You haven't. Mm-mm. You have been mad ever since you saw that post. Ooh. You've been mad ever since you saw that post. The whole, like you're, the rest of your day is troubled because of what you just saw. But you're saying, I forgave him. Did you really? Did you really? I'm trying, sis. Did you really? What if God is using the pain, not because it's toxic, but to show you there are a lot of toxic things in you? When you detox, it's for the purpose of getting toxins out. And it's painful, but it's getting the toxins out. Pain is the midwife of purpose. And see, th this is why I did this discernment series. Because a lot of us can't discern pain that's yours versus pain that's theirs. Oh, I'm trying to help somebody. Because there is a pain due to your choices. There is a pain due to what you wanted to do. And there's a pain that God is using for what he wants to do. But when I'm not healed and when I don't have discernment, I'll carry all of the pain. Like, where's Miss Flowers at? Come here real quick, baby. I, I, I want to show y'all this. You just come stand right here until I want to show this illustration. Y'all clap it up for my beautiful wife. Come on up here with your pink pants on. Happy Valentine's Day to you. So you can just stay right here real quick. Look, when you can't discern your pain, you can sit, stand, doesn't matter. I'm using just one second. When you don't understand your pain, you'll be carrying baggage that really doesn't even belong to you. See what I'm saying? Because you have become a pain hoarder. Like you hoard pain. Some of us have gotten so used to pain that we expect painful things to happen. And so when you don't have discernment, a lot of us are walking around like this, carrying pain. But when you begin to have discernment, you can recognize, hold on a second, this, this is mama's pain. Man, this is how mama viewed herself. And mama is viewing me through how she views herself. And I have something called lethal loyalty. I'm trying to be loyal because she's my mama. And, and I want to honor my mama because I know honor your parents and the Lord for this is right. But this is mama pain. I don't have to be talked to like this. I don't have to put up with this. And now I'm walking around heavy. And once you have discernment, God will show you that's not even your pain. Y'all clapping, but I'm still carrying baggage. I'm still carrying baggage. And some of it is not yours. And I preach passionately to show you that maybe, could it be that this particular pain that you have, this is your ex-pain. You have never forgot what he said to you. You have never forgot what she said to you. See, the thing about scars, scars tell stories. You can forget good things, but you remember a scar. My ex said I was too goofy. So now you try to be serious. You laugh and I'm serious, trying to alter how God wired you because of somebody else's opinion. Not fact, opinion. Can I get somebody to say opinion? opinion. This is their opinion. 
And so now everybody I meet, I say, they so goofy. Because now I'm viewing them of the pain that they gave to me. What about church pain? The pain that I got from a bishop, from an elder. Women, y'all ain't sleep too from a praying grandmother. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they gossip too. Once you heal, you discover that this is not even my pain. So I can let that go. And I need discernment so that I could discern what pain is purposeful versus what pain is insubstantial. What pain do I need to steward because of who I'm becoming and what pain am I carrying that's not even mine? See, now this is the crazy thing, Ms. Flowers. I've discovered, come here real quick. Sometimes people have so much baggage. They have so much pain on them and they carrying so much and they meet somebody and they're like, ooh, thank God. Just hold that side, just hold that side, just hold it. They're like, thank God, I don't have to deal with that weight as much anymore. Thank God, I got somebody who's a ride or die. Like I'm trying to label them a person so that they'll feel bad if they drop me. Y'all ever had that happen to you? Like, I, I thank God for you. I thank God for you, sister. I thank God for you, brother. But really, she's starting to get heavy because I'm so heavy. And so what happens is she gets the wisdom that, okay, I need to pray for them and love them from a distance. So drop this. So now you go ahead and sit back down. So now when we don't have discernment, I'll say that she dropped me. I got abandonment issues. I got trust issues because they dropped me. I thought I could trust them, but they dropped me. What if you didn't even know how heavy you were? See? See? Ooh, y'all, y'all online, y'all here, I go into golf claps real quick. What if you don't even know how heavy you are? Can I tell y'all something? Are y'all ready for this? The reason some people are so mad at you because you're loving from a distance is because they now experience that you were their umbrella. Okay? Listen. They now are dealing with the baggage that they have created. And you were blocking them from getting wet from a storm that they conjured up. And so now I got a problem with you because you making me deal with all of my baggage. Now look, don't clap too hard because some of us are like that. We have so much luck. I don't know why we always think it's them. Sometimes it's us. Like it's you, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. You are heavy. Every time I talk to you, you are heavy. And I want us to see that when you can heal and have discernment, I don't have to carry all of this. But there is a pain that's essential for my becoming. There are things that the Holy Spirit has packed on the inside of here that I have to wear where I'm going. And if I travel without the pain, I won't be able to be dressed for my future. But there's something that he's put in here that's going to teach me grace, that's going to teach me mercy, that's going to teach me gratitude, that I need to learn how to carry this. Jairus is with Jesus, and they're walking 
and this woman just interrupts. Now, if, if you're thinking like me, if my daughter is sick and I go to Jesus first, I'm thinking like an ambulance. Don't pull over and talk to nobody. Seriously, my daughter is sick. I got a, I got a flow of blood. Okay, we'll deal with you in a minute. I started to see how close these two women were. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This woman had a blood flow issue for 12 years. I'm like, man, were they in the hospital at the same time? Jairus, while your daughter was being born, her condition was being born. It's amazing how seasons cycle to, well, now I'm dealing with the same thing. We both need Jesus in the same season. Because in your season of birthing was in my season of my condition. He goes, Jesus is talking to this woman. Now, if I'm Jairus on the sideline, I'm thinking like, hurry up, okay? Praise God, hurry up. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Could y'all imagine how heavy this pain must have felt at that moment? So many thoughts. I began to think like Jairus. I would be, Jesus, why'd you stop? I came to you first. I came to you first. What do you do when somebody gets healed before you? Mm, what do you do when somebody gets blessed before you? In your face. I came to you first. Or what if Jairus began to blame that woman? If you would have just allowed him to get to my house, I wouldn't be carrying this. But then I began to think, God is sovereign. He knows all things. So this means when Jairus first came to Jesus and told him that your da my daughter is sick, Jesus knew she going to die before we even get there because he's sovereign. And so then I begin to think, what if God uses pain to introduce another dimension of who he is to us? Because you came to me, Jairus, because you want me to be a healer. But I'm going to delay because I want to show you I'm not just a healer. I'm also a resurrector. Did y'all hear what I just said? What if your pain God is using to show you other dimensions of himself? Now it makes sense why he told Moses, I am that I am. I'm not just confined to being a healer. I might be, I am your provider. And then I might be, I am your way maker. And then I might be, I am your savior. And then I might be, I am your redeemer. And then I might be, I am your comforter. And then I might be, I'm your protector. And then I might be, I'm your provider. Don't confine me. So the pain is used to introduce another dimension of who I am. Now look, verse 36, and then I'm done. Let me get out your way. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, speaking to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. And this tripped me out. Verse 37 said, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Did y'all just remember the Bible said there was such a large crowd that they were thronging him? So Jesus was like, all right, everybody, Y'all can't see this one. Ooh, this would have messed up our generation because we like to post stuff. It's like all these crowds, y'all can't see this. What I'm about to do in Jairus' life is going to require for him to have a season of obscurity where it's just me and him. You can't post this. You can't brag about this. All crowds. And it said that he had everybody leave except Peter, James, and John. I'm like, Jesus, what about the other 12? Like, what about the other nine disciples? What about them? Y'all leave. 
This is the Jesus nobody likes to talk about. The Jesus that evicts people. Look at this, y'all. Verse 38, it says, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but sleep. But they laughed at him. Now, y'all look at this. This is the Jesus that we don't preach about. Look at this. After he put them all out. Did y'all see that? Y'all say it with me. After he put them all out. Who does God have to kick out so something can get up? Y'all seeing this? Thank you for standing up, sis. I feel that one too. What does God have to kick out so something can stand up? I'm thinking, my God, you kicked out the mama, you kicked out the friends, you kicked out the kinfolk, you kicked out the funeral directors. We don't view Jesus as the God who kicks out. Sometimes Jesus said, what you want me to do? They got to go. They got to go. Here's your bag, bro. You got to go. You got to go. He put them out and took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talea Takumi, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood and began to walk around. Look at this, y'all. She was 12 years old. The Bible is always intentional. At this, they were completely astonished. And this is, if I can say how I want this is the most absurd instructions out of the whole story. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. We were in the crowd, Jesus. We all heard your daughter's dead. Everybody was crying and wailing. We all knew that she was dead. You all kicked them out and you tell them, don't tell nobody. Isn't it going to be obvious that she got up? I want us to know when God does something in your life, you don't have to post it. Everybody just going to see that bad boy walking. They just going to see your favor back. They just going to see your joy back. You don't have to post it. Don't tell nobody. Just tell them, look. Can I get somebody to say, look at what God did. Look at what God did with my mind. Look at what God did with my peace. Look at what God did with my heart. Look at what God did with my joy. Look at what God did with my faith. I don't have to post about it. You're going to see it walking. Don't tell nobody. They're going to be able to tell. Point number one, purposeful pain is not for a joy abduction, but rather a divine introduction. I have to show you I'm not just going to heal your daughter. I'm going to resurrect your daughter. Point number two, <clears throat> purposeful pain is preparation for what's coming, not punishment for what was. Don't allow the enemy to make you think this is due to what you have done. There are things that we experience consequences, but I'm talking about purposeful pain. Pain that you don't know why this is happening. Could it be pain that God is using for your purpose? Point number three, purposeful pain teaches you what pleasure never could. It teaches you a gratitude, a grace, and a favor that you never ever knew that you could experience. And last point. Purposeful pain is the gym membership for your faith. Gives your faith some muscle. Can I get y'all to flex on them real quick? Can I get you to flex? I don't care if you have flab. Just flex. Hold it up. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up. It gives your faith some muscle. Y'all not doing it, so I'm going to stay here till y'all do it. Flex. It gives your faith some muscle. 
I could withstand a storm. I could withstand a trial. I could withstand a heartbreak. I could withstand a hardship because that pain gave my face some muscle. If you're working out and you're not sore, you're not doing it right. But if you want to build some muscle, if you want to be able to get some power, if you want to be able to increase your anointing, if you want to be able to flex on them, I need God to help me steward my pain. Father, we hear you. Help us to steward what you are using to give our faith some muscle. Forgive us, God, for walking around with unborn destinies because we don't want to push through the pain. We can't birth anything without experiencing pain. A relationship may numb it, but it won't take the pain away. A high may numb it, but it won't take the pain away. Alcohol may numb it for a moment, but in the midst of the hangover and once it fades, once the liquor fades, it won't take the pain away. Help us to understand that many times you use pain not because you're toxic, but because you're trying to purge us of all of our toxins. We love you and we honor you, O God. Help us to learn that you are good and you are a good father. And it's not meant to destroy us or detour us, God, but it's meant to give our faith some muscle. What do you do when God puts your faith in the gym? You work out. Work out our faith. Work out our joy. Work out our hope so that we won't be weak followers of you but we will let the lion out of the tribe of Judah roar in our life so that others may see look at what God did in Jesus name we pray and everybody who agrees with that prayer would just say amen in the house